back to wwe retro on the wwe podcast on this friday may 20th as when the show will be dropping most likely but i'm actually recording it on may 19th uh thursday and now that i look at the date does anyone remember may 19th the whole kane storyline when he had the movie see no evil come out and uh the returning version of the mass cane and there was the two canes and arguably one of the more disappointing storylines uh of that time in wwe the ruthless aggression era and i if i'm not mistaken luke gallows was actually the guy under the mask playing the imposter cane and i remember the hair was almost like really frizzy almost like gene simmons hair from kiss and uh, just not a really good um, storyline. The payoff was not great whatsoever. And it's too bad, right? Because Mass Kane versus the actual Kane, who didn't have a mask at the time, that was a storyline that probably should have really been a good payoff. But they had the one match at, I believe it was Vengeance 2006. And um, nothing really came of it. I remember the real Kane beat him up and like threw him in a garbage can or something. Can't really sure exactly how it put up. Uh, blown off but all I know is that it wasn't too great probably why I don't remember it that thoroughly but today we're going back to the year 2004 to cover a championship reign that isn't discussed enough because of real life events and that is the world heavyweight title reign of Chris Benoit and before I get into the actual wrestling storyline and his title run and everything he did in the ring um i just want to preface this show by saying that this is in no way me trying to paint chris benoit as some like legend in wwe and that it excuses the horrific things he did in real life and you know obviously a lot of that was due to brain damage that he suffered during his time in wrestling obviously following the death of Eddie Guerrero in late 2005 it kind of really set Chris Benoit down a tailspin if you have not seen the dark of the ring uh, dark side of the ring episode covering Chris Benoit's um, tragedy with his family I would heavily encourage you to go watch it it's um it's something that you rarely come across in terms of not in the sense that these horrifying things don't happen they happen almost every day in the world and we just don't hear about them but they don't happen that often to celebrities and you know for lack of better terms wrestlers are celebrities in some form or fashion and i remember when it happened it just really sends shockwaves through the entire wrestling world and just the entire world in general like i remember my mother used to watch uh, nancy grace back in the day and i don't know if nancy grace i don't think it was cnn that she was on but she used to cover like these types of stories every night 
And I remember them having interviews with guys like uh, Bret Hart and Chris Jericho. I believe Dean Malenko was there. And talking about how much of a good guy Chris Benoit was and just how horrible this entire um, situation played out. So it's important to remember that while I cover his championship reign, this isn't me trying to gloss over or excuse or ignore what happened in real life in June of 2007. It's just a part of history in wrestling. And now I'm kind of shifting into the the wrestler, the character, the, the storyline version of Chris Benoit. His title run in 2004 is something that I would consider the pinnacle of the Ruthless Aggression era. I think that it really was the height of the Ruthless Aggression era. And it was his championship victory at WrestleMania 20, which I covered last um, last week, was one that kind of unofficially put an end to the Attitude Era. You can make that case for WrestleMania 19 as well, where you had Rock and Austin face off and Hogan and McMahon face off. But... I really feel like it was more at WrestleMania 20 where you saw Austin in a special guest referee capacity, The Rock in a tag team match, where you officially moved on to the next era. And there was kind of an in-between. So any time from, let's say, WrestleMania 19 to WrestleMania 20, you could kind of, I guess, deem as the official peak of the ruthless aggression era but for me it was right around the time that benoit was the world heavyweight champion and simultaneously guerrero was the wwe champion over on smackdown and not a lot of people remember this but chris benoit actually started on smackdown during the ruthless aggression era tagging a lot with the likes of rhino have even tagging and winning the tag team championships with Kurt Angle. I believe they were the first ever WWE tag team champions. And at that time, that was also known as the SmackDown tag team champions. And, you know, kicking around the tag team and mid-card picture for the better part of 2003, which was the first full calendar year of the brand split, Benoit was kind of under the radar. You know, at WrestleMania 19, he was in a triple threat tag team match for the WWE Tag Team Championships alongside Rhino against Los Guerreros and the world's greatest tag team, a.k.a. Team Angle, a.k.a. Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas. I actually believe that at that WrestleMania, they were booked as Team Angle still. It was before they had switched to the world's greatest tag team. And in late 2003, you started to see Chris Benoit move more into a main event um, capacity as he was featured on Team Angle's Survivor Series uh, team in the 5-on-5 match against Team Lesnar. And he was one of the survivors alongside John Cena as they took out the big show to get the win for Kurt Angle. And after that, then GM Paul Heyman kind of had it out for uh, for Chris Benoit. And it ultimately led to Chris Benoit being the number one entrant into the 2004 Royal Rumble. He started that match out against Randy Orton, one and two. And, you know, they kind of booked this subtly, that Benoit of Benoit going into the Royal Rumble. But as the match went on and Benoit was there and he was there and he was there, you started kind of realizing, like, well, does he have a shot? And it ultimately came down to him and the big show 
where we'd finally get our answer. So Benoit ultimately wins the Royal Rumble match, gets the right to main event WrestleMania for the WWE Championship, and becomes the second man only ever to win the Royal Rumble after entering number one, the first ever being Shawn Michaels in, I believe it was 1996 that he won it, if I'm not mistaken. He won it back-to-back years, but I wasn't sure if it was 95 or 96 that he entered number one. It could have been either. And... We are under the assumption that he will challenge Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. And at this time on SmackDown, you really didn't have a true contender for the WWE title. For over 12 months at this point, you had had two champions. It was either Brock or it was Kurt Angle. And they had traded the title several times between one another. And since the WWE Championship had become exclusive to SmackDown, it had been either Brock or Angle, with the exception of a one-month run as champion by The Big Show from Survivor Series 02 until Armageddon 2002. So for the better part of a year and a half, you had had two guys as WWE Champion, Brock or Angle. Brock Lesnar, behind the scenes as we know, was making his move over to other ventures. He would ultimately go to football and he would ultimately go to UFC. So WWE had to start planning accordingly. And Kurt Angle at the time, he had kind of had his run as a babyface. He would turn heel shortly thereafter the Royal Rumble. And they had to maybe go with another direction. And that direction, at this point, we thought was going to be Chris Benoit. He would get his push into the WWE Championship picture scene. And he would certainly go into the main event, but not on SmackDown. So, what I'm going to mention as a problem is, I ain't out here to make matches. I'm out here to uphold the law. Now, the rules state that the winner of the Royal Rumble goes on to WrestleMania to face the champion. Now, what the rules don't state is which champion that winner faces. Shawn Michaels, like I said, 
You wrestled your ass off last night. You wrestled one hell of a match. But you did not win the Royal Rumble. Chris Benoit did. So right now, I'd like the winner of the 2004 Royal Rumble to come out here to this ring. So Benoit crosses over to Raw to challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship. And he was the first competitor to really do that because it was only the second ever match or the second ever Rumble to be held during the era of the brand split. And the guy who won it previously was Brock the year before, and he remained on SmackDown to challenge Kurt Angle. Now, in years since, we've kind of seen that happen at different points off the top of my head i'm i'm not sure if john cena originally crossed over when he won the rumble in 2008 i believe i believe he was technically a raw guy and then he went to smackdown no no he was he a smackdown guy he went to raw i can't remember correctly when undertaker won the rumble in 2007 he had the entire segment where he had to choose between ecw wwe championship and world heavyweight championship so after benoit did it it kind of became like a known fact that you could challenge the world heavyweight champion of your choosing we kind of saw that with oscar 
where Oscar crossed over to SmackDown to challenge Charlotte for the SmackDown Women's Championship in 2018 when she was a Raw competitor. We saw it with Charlotte when she won the Rumble going to NXT to challenge Rhea Ripley for the NXT Championship. Well, Benoit was kind of the first guy or girl to do that. And, you know, he goes on to face the, both of them, Triple H and Shawn Michaels, for the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 20. And as we heard last week, I played the clip to end the show, Benoit would win the World Heavyweight Championship to close out the historical WrestleMania that was WrestleMania 20. And he ends up becoming the first world champion that isn't Triple H for... The first time since Bill Goldberg and Goldberg had held the world title since from uh, what was it Unforgiven 03 to Armageddon 03 and before that that was Triple H as well so it was kind of a nice change of pace you get a guy in Benoit who was never a world champion before holding the title over on Monday Night Raw he's on Monday Night Raw for the first time in several years. And it was kind of a nice breath of fresh air. And like I said, on SmackDown, you had Guerrero as the WWE Championship. So you had these two guys who were historical mid-slash-tag team wrestlers, and mid-card, that is. And now you have them each getting world title reigns at the same exact time as WWE is trying new things. They needed a world champion over on SmackDown because of the departure of Brock Lesnar. You needed a new world champion over on on Raw just for the sake of something fresh. You know, you had had Triple H in the world title scene for quite some time. Shawn Michaels had won the world title and had been going head-to-head with Triple H. Goldberg had just left once again following WrestleMania 20 at the same time as Brock Lesnar. So it opens the door for Chris Benoit. You go to Backlash, you have the exact same rematch from WrestleMania, the triple threat match with Benoit, with Kurt Angle, not Kurt Angle, with Shawn Michaels, with Triple H, and Benoit once again retains the World Heavyweight Championship. Following that, you have Benoit go on a tag team title run, actually, with Edge. Um, I remember when they lost their tag team titles in Montreal to La Resistance, and uh, that was a pretty cool sight to see as you had um, La Resistance win the tag team titles in their home province of Quebec, even though as the heels they got a major pop, it was cool to experience, and then he would have a match with Kane at Bad Blood 2004, he would retain and culminate the program with Kane, retaining the the world heavyweight championship and eventually you would have him go back a gallop against triple h and this is one of the more forgotten matches and it actually took place on monday night raw where you had chris benoit and triple h square off in an iron man match for the world heavyweight championship and iron man matches are rare enough to see nowadays They seem to happen like once every two or three years, if that. But to see it on a Monday Night Raw was absolutely unheard of. And, you know, Raw at the time was a one-hour show as well. So they were investing a lot of time into an Iron Man match between two guys for a Monday Night Raw. I remember watching this live. One of the best matches I've ever seen on a non-pay-per-view show. Um... And Triple H and Chris Benoit had amazing chemistry. And I remember each of them getting three decisions in throughout the match. As you had Triple H score victories via a mega DDT, 
a spine buster and a pedigree and you had benoit score victories with the crippler crossface the diving headbutt and the sharpshooter so it's 3-3 with the clock ticking down and that's when all hell would break loose to end this iron man match And uh, Benoit scores the victory after the help of Eugene. And if you guys don't remember Eugene, one of the more controversial angles and characters that WWE ever put together. Um, you know, if you guys don't remember or didn't watch it at that time, Eugene was a character that was essentially a mes- mentally disabled man who was the kayfabe nephew of then general manager Eric Bischoff. And, you know, he had buddied up to Evolution and Triple H more specifically during this time. And leading into this, they had beaten the holy hell out of Eugene. And then he comes out to make the save during this match for Chris Benoit, who was being attacked three on one by Triple H, Batista, and Ric Flair. 
and allows Chris Benoit to retain the World Heavyweight Championship after a one-hour-long Ironman match. And just to say, it was, like I said, I've never seen an Ironman match on network television before. Maybe I'm missing one, but this was a really good match between two of the best workers in the company at that time and kind of put a bow on any kind of lingering rivalry directly between Triple H and Chris Benoit. What also transpired around this time was Randy Orton losing the Intercontinental Championship to Edge after holding that for just about seven months or so. And following that, he wins a battle royal to become the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam. And Randy Orton obviously was one of the up-and-coming stars at this time, alongside and paralleled by John Cena over on SmackDown. Cena was carrying the U.S. title, Orton carrying the Intercontinental Championship. And unlike today, those back then were kind of considered the stepping stone, pardon me, the stepping stone championships uh, before you get to the main event scene and ideally into the world title picture. And it just seemed apropos that Randy Orton's next step, based on what he had done for the previous calendar year, would be to end up in the world championship picture. He would end up there in August of 2004, main eventing SummerSlam against Chris Benoit, and would ultimately end the one and only title reign of Chris Benoit. Yeah. 
that would end Chris Benoit's one and only ever run as a world champion in WWE. And, you know, it's it's tough, and I understand completely as to why they don't reference it. You know, Benoit's name has essentially been blackballed from WWE programming and, and content, and I get it 100%. Like I said, to open the show, I completely understand as to why they do not reference Chris Benoit in any which way. I brought it up earlier. This Me covering his run does not excuse or ignore or try and lighten the negative impacts and the negative events that happened in real life and what he did to his family. It's, it's horrific. And it's something that is probably the darkest cloud that hangs over the wrestling business. I'm sure there's other ones that are uh, com- also right in that tier, that negative tier as well. Um, you know, Dark Side of the Ring, if you watch those episodes, The Plane Ride from Hell, uh, you know, what went on with The Ultimate Warrior at times behind the scenes. Like, there are a lot of bad things that have happened in the wrestling world that we try and not talk about and we try and ignore and we try and pretend that you know, don't really exist, and hush, hush, we just won't talk about it, and ignorance is bliss, but you can't run from stuff like this, and it is why it supersedes, like, tenfold, it eclipses whatever you want to use to describe it, the impact of Benoit's World Heavyweight Championship run, but reviewing this championship run was just simply to give some context as to what was going on during a very important era of the ruthless aggression era and or per, an important time of the ruthless aggression era and many people forget this was Randy Orton's first ever championship run so when we discuss Orton winning his first ever world title we often can't really give the full story because it involves Chris Benoit and even when you see highlights of Randy Orton winning this title for the first time at SummerSlam 2004 you see a brief clip of him hitting the RKO on Benoit you don't even see Benoit's face and then it just cuts to him celebrating with the championship. So um following this Benoit never really got back into the world heavyweight championship picture uh he would be involved in the first ever money in the bank ladder match at wrestlemania 21 he would take part in back-to-back one-on-one matches for the united states championship following uh wrestlemania 21 in wrestlemania 22 and wrestlemania 23 he lost the championship to jbl at 22 and he successfully defended the championship against mvp at wrestlemania 23 and he moved to ECW um, right before the, the the tragic event that took place. Uh, and maybe he was going to get a run as the ECW champion. I could have seen that as well. But in terms of the WWE and the World Heavyweight title, Benoit would never get back into this picture uh, following his um, loss to Randy Orton at SummerSlam uh, 2004. But... Before I close things out here, I just want to reiterate again that um, Benoit's legacy will complete, will forever rather be um, kind of tarnished and looked back on in a negative light because of what happened in the real world. And as always, real life supersedes and eclipses anything as far as storyline goes, and that is, and that is. Um, 
exactly the case here as well. But in saying that, I still did felt like it was um, a decent opportunity to at least just talk about what went, what went on in the ring with Chris Benoit during probably the height of his in-ring career. And a guy that, obviously, speaking strictly professionally and in the ring, probably dist- dis- deserved this uh, title run. And it was a long time coming in terms of his in-ring. And again, it's important to stress that we're talking strictly in-ring here. His in-ring work, you know, warranted at least one world championship run. And he got it in 2004. But anyway, guys, um, I hope you enjoyed um, this coverage of Chris Benoit's world title run in 2004. As always, you can get me on Twitter at adamarco 25 You can get Matt on Twitter at wrestling underscore audio. Or you can email him each and every week for the WWE podcast mailbag that drops every Wednesday night. Anyway, guys, I hope you're doing well out there. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.